Morning, VCBC. Hello, Caleb. It's been a while. Nice to see you here. Nice to, uh, well, I always admire your, 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 your heart and your burden to serve God, and may God continue to shape you in seminary, in your seminary study, in His grace, and, and use you greatly for His glory. Greek uh, mythology is quite fascinating. One of the myths talks about the origin of mankind. At the beginning of mankind, there was no fire. Humans were very primitive, uncivilized, or, or even barbaric. At that time, mankind only consisted of men. There were no women. So the word mankind did not need to be gender neutral. And the king of the Olympian god, Zeus, intended for mankind to be like savages, just like other wild animals. But one of Zeus' sons, Prometheus, who himself is a titan, did not agree with Zeus. Prometheus became sympathetic to mankind. As a result, he defied the gods by stealing fire and giving it to humanity, an act that enabled progress and civilization. But then, Zeus became furious and sentenced Prometheus to eternal torment for his wrongdoing. But what I really wanted to talk about is not Prometheus. So, after mankind obtaining fire, Zeus wanted to make sure that man would not continue and cannot continue to live happily ever after. So, Zeus decided to give men what? Women. And the name of the first woman was Pandora. And the Pandora story is about how evilness came into this world. The story goes like this. Upon the appearance of Pandora, in her hand there was a box, which is the famous Pandora box. Later, due to her, due to her own curiosity, Pandora opened the box which she was, she was not supposed to open. Then, everything that was contained inside the box came out. It was then known that this box contained things associated with evilness and suffering, including greed, jealousy, adultery, uh, hatred, sickness, rage, disasters, disappointment, etc. From then on, evilness and suffering had spread over the entire created world. Realizing that she has caused big trouble, Pandora looked into the box to see what's left. She found one thing still inside the box. When she looked closer, she realized that this one thing was hope. When all evilness and sufferings came out, Pandora found hope in the box. The story goes on to say that in order to instill hope in this world that is now filled with evilness and sufferings, this one thing left in the box was turned into a goddess 
Her role is to bring healing and endurance to all mankind in the world. This goddess was given a name, Elpis. It's a Greek word, and this word is what Paul used when he wrote this line in 1 Corinthians 13. And now, these three remain, faith, hope, and love. Faith is pity. Love is agape, and hope is this Greek word, elpis. So no matter its ancient myth or the modern day's health industry, health is recognized as an important element to face sufferings and evilness this world brings to us. Whether when we face natural disasters or when we go through frustrations in our own life cycle, hope may be the only thing that we can count on, just like Pandora. The Bible also puts very high regard to hope, and it lists it among the three major spiritual virtues. It's been a couple of months already since I last talked to you about faith and love. To have faith, according to the Bible, is to be faithful, to be loyal, to have fidelity and allegiance to someone. To have faith in Jesus does not only mean accepting Him, it actually means surrendering to Him. Faith, pistis, is more than, much more than, simply accepting a set of beliefs. Faith is a lifelong relationship defined by allegiance and fidelity. On the other hand, love, agape, means making the costliest sacrifice for those who are least deserved. Agape love is sacrificial love. It's a suffering love. It's a love that forbids any calculation. So today, let's go back to God's Word again and let it be revealed to us what hope, Elpis, really is. And I'd like to invite Ella to read to all of us today's scripture. It's from First Peter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then verse 13, Therefore prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves, also in all your behavior. Thank As you. No, okay. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Uh, after receiving God's word, uh, let us all pray together. Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you for giving us your, your, your word, your word of hope and for accomplishing this hope for us. 
uh, we give thanks to you, and we just ask that you will, your spirit will, will lead us into your word, open our hearts, and, and help us to be shaped into your image, and, and to be shaped uh, because of your hope, uh, so that we will be holy just like you are the holy one. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So among the three spiritual value, virtues of faith, love, and hope, I think the most difficult one to comprehend is hope. It is also the one that we pay the, the, probably the least attention on. More often, we might want to strengthen our faith or deepen our love, but rarely that we would set out to build up our hope. Also from the service, we we can easily identify the objects of our faith as God and the object of our love as God and other brothers and sisters, our neighbors, even our enemies. But what is the object of hope? The return of Jesus? The, the, the new heaven and new earth? What, 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 what exactly is, should be the object of our hope? Because of such ambiguity in the object of hope, kind of obscures the whole concept of hope. So, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. The most fundamental is faith. The greatest is love. But the most ambiguous is hope. Also from an academic analysis perspective, the word for faith, PC, appears 244 times in the New Testament. Whereas, the, love, the word for love, agape, appears still 116 times. That's quite a lot. However, the word for hope, elpis, it only appears 54 times in the entire New Testament. So quantitatively, it is less than the other two, but less might not be a bad thing. At least we don't need to look over so many different passages to study the biblical concept of hope. So today, I'm going to study a few verses in the book of First Peter, which Ella just read to, to us. Uh, and in this book, uh, the First Peter, it has a theme set around the biblical concept of hope. So when does an average person need hope the most? Well, based on human nature, it's probably when our situation is the worst and most desperate. The more hardship we encounter, the more difficult in each situation we face, the more important that hope is to us. It's like this picture here, that hope seems to need hardship to justify the need for hope. As a result, when things are well and smooth, our motivation to nurture our hope would be rather low. And I think that's why people like us living rather comfortably in a peaceful society would put less and less attention on hope in our average daily life. But that's not how the Bible sees hope. We would think that our need for hope is somehow correlated to how good or bad our situation is. But in the, in the hope in the Bible is not really just comfort during hardship. Look at how Paul categorized hope. Paul categorized hope as a virtue. And for any virtue, 
is supposed to be demonstrated regardless of how good or how bad the situation is. Virtue is not like painkillers. You need it only when you are in pain. Bible sees hope from a totally different perspective. If the purpose of hope is only to help comfort us, to make us more optimistic, more positive, then very naturally, when the Bible talks about hope, it should focus on painting a wonderful picture, a worry-free picture of what life is like in heaven. Hope, to us, seems to be built upon how nice heaven is. It's like we experience hardship now, but when we go to heaven, it will be all good. We get sick now, but in heaven, we will be all healthy. We get disasters now. But in heaven, we will be in complete shalom, peace. That's how we used to perceive hope. But when the Bible talks about hope, it is often not linking to heaven. When the Bible writers talk about hope, they don't seem to want us to always think about heaven. For example, the book that talks the most about heaven or about God's kingdom coming on earth is Revelation. But the word hope, elpis, never appear in the book of Revelation. Not once. So the hope that Bible talks about it's not only about positive thinking based on how good heaven is. The, book, the hope in the Bible is much like faith and love. It is a constant state of living. It is a virtue that affects the decision making in our everyday life. It's a virtue that shapes our character, our value system. For Peter, in his letter in 1 Peter, he did not talk much about how good heaven is. Maybe four verses that he talked about heaven. What he talked about most is how hope can enable us to overcome the lust, the sinful desire that comes to haunt us in this life. When Peter said, what Peter said in, 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 in his letter is that in hope we can endure. But this endurance is not only towards tribulations, sickness, pain, and suffering. The main thing that hope enables us to endure is temptation that comes from our sinful nature and from the world. The purpose of hope that Peter talks about is not only to lead us to be more optimistic or positive. The purpose of hope is more about leading us to be more holy in the midst of all worldly temptations. Honestly, being optimistic is not necessarily a good virtue. You can be optimistic by not having any sense of crisis. For hope to be a virtue, it must lead us into holiness. So in order to better understand the, the relationship of hope and holiness, we must first make clear distinction among three words. These words are hope, wish, and goal. These words are similar because they are all associated with our anticipation towards the future. 
yet they, they, are, they are very different to each other in the sense that each word is related to the future differently. So in order to understand the biblical concept of hope, let's distinguish among these three words first. First, let's look at the word goal. A goal is expectation of result generated by the effort you are going to put in in the process. It's like you have a goal to have good marks in school. Then you will have to study. If your goal is to buy a car, then you will have to start saving money. The future associated with the word goal is very much correlated to our own effort. But the word wish is also about some anticipated results in the future. However, for this result to be achieved, it will depend more on external and uncontrollable factors more than our own internal efforts. Like, if someone wants to find the perfect wife. I mean, you, we normally would say to him, good luck, rather than add oil, right? I mean, that's a Hong Kong English, right? But, but yeah, we, we, we won't ask him to put in more effort. We say, good luck. Or, or other bigger wishes, such as world peace, no more poverty, etc. There are so many external uncontrollable factors that make them more like wishes than goals. Then hope, or more precisely, the biblical hope. The way that biblical hope differs from wish and goals is that the things that determine the materialization of, of such hope is not still happening, but were already accomplished completely in the past. The things that determine the materialization of our hope are not our continuous effort and not external factors that are still contributing to the final outcome. The things or a thing that determines the materialization of our hope has already happened in the past, already been accomplished in history. Of course, we know that this deciding factor of our ultimate hope was already completely accomplished approximately 2,000 years ago on the cross by Jesus. And because the deciding factor of our hope had already happened, already been accomplished in the past, the biggest difference between hope and wish and goal is its certainty. For wish and goal, there are still uncertainties in them as things are still happening that can affect the final outcome. Whether your goal or your wish can materialize at the end, it's still uncertain before it actually happens. But biblical hope is different. Because all deciding factors have been accomplished, it's done, it's finished, just as Jesus said on the cross. As a result, biblical hope is certain. Nothing that is going to happen can affect its final outcome. There's no more if in its happening, only when. This is, in essence, the concept of already, but not yet. Okay, you getting it? Okay? Therefore, many times, Peter connected such hope 
to the salvation that Jesus already accomplished on the cross. The most obvious verse is from chapter 1, verse 3, in which Peter said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the salvation of Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus, which happened in the past, has ensured us a living hope that has an effect on us now and in the future. So hope is not wishful thinking. It's not just about optimism. Hope is that under any circumstance in life, we will still uphold the belief that what Jesus did in the past in history has already achieved God's intended future for us. This is the definition of biblical hope. Now that we understand the meaning of the word hope in the Bible, we need to get hold of its implications. First, hope can help us to endure hardship in this life. Now, After talking about living hope in verse 3, Peter continued to describe its implications uh, in verse 6 to 7. That's what he said. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The first thing Peter wrote after mentioning this living hope is to link this hope to the hardship and suffering in this life. Zoologists had claimed that one of the biggest differences between animals and humans is that although both can experience pain, humans can also experience suffering, while animals in general don't. The difference between pain and suffering is that pain is more physical and suffering can be more mental. When pain subsides, suffering can go on for much longer. For example, if I lost my arm in an accident, the pain can be subdued by painkillers or it will eventually be gone after healing. But my suffering can go on, even after my body does not feel the pain anymore. Unless you are terminally ill, pain rarely lasts a lifetime, but suffering can. It's because while pain is gone, our condition, whether it's external or internal, can greatly alter our way of living. Suffering arises because our purpose in life was undermined. Peter recognized that pain is inevitable in this life. He called it test by fire. We still will go through aging, sickness, trauma, sorrow, and eventually death. But Peter also said that although hope cannot help us avoid pain, it can nevertheless help us offset suffering. Hope can help us offset suffering by first, hope makes sure that whatever sufferings we have in this life is only going to be for a little while. Hope ensures that our suffering is only temporary. We won't suffer forever. Our life will never be reduced 
to sufferings only. Hope ensures that there is an end to all suffering. Second, hope can offset our sufferings in life because hope gives us purpose even in suffering. Peter says, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Sufferings are not meaningless or purposeless. Our hope causes us to endure all sufferings because this test by fire has a purpose to refine us so that we may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor when our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. Because of hope, the end of all sufferings is not despair or darkness, but praises from Jesus and divine glory and honor. Well, you might remember that at the beginning of today's sermon, I said that hope is in fact a virtue. And virtue is not something that it's not something that we only need during hardship. We're supposed to demonstrate virtue in different seasons in life. Virtue is supposed to affect the decision-making in our everyday life, whether it's good time or bad time. And this is the same view held by the Apostle Peter. So after linking hope to sufferings in the first seven verses, Peter would move on and will not deal with sufferings anymore. For the rest of the book, Peter wants us to understand that in hope, our life is not only to be meaningful, but even more so, to be holy. The most important implication of hope to our lives is for us to abandon sins and live a life characterized by holiness. If having faith is to have allegiance, if having love is to sacrifice oneself, then having hope is to be holy. Because Jesus already accomplished all the determining factors that our hope, for our hope to be sure, therefore in this life we are to overcome sins and all worldly temptations. In chapter 1, verse 13 to 15, Peter said, Therefore prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay? So because of this hope, what should we do? Well, verse 14, it continues to say, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you. Be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. And then Peter went on to say that because of this hope, we are to see this world from a totally different perspective. We are to have a renewed worldview. In chapter 2, 11, he said, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Peter said that now we are in this world, but because of this sure hope, we no longer live in this world like residents, but like aliens or strangers. Because we are no longer living like residents, but strangers, we are not to be so attached to the world. We are not to be conformed 
to the lust of this world. Well, in this concept of being a stranger of this world, we sometimes have a very mistaken interpretation. Some would understand being a stranger by thinking of being a tourist. And unfortunately, this cannot be more wrong. If we think of being a stranger as being a tourist, it is exactly the opposite of what Peter wants us to think. I mean, we all have been tourists. When you go on a tour, you go travel and visit the world, you go to exotic places, it is the time that we are least likely to overcome our desire. Right? How many of us have practiced fasting while you are on a Caribbean cruise? I don't think so, right? How many of us would spend two hours reading the Bible while we are in Disney World? I don't think so. When we are tourists, we tend to let off our guard the most. We do things that we might not do when we are at home. We would spend more money more easily. Let loose of our diet more freely. I won't eat that when I go back home. Right? Well, the strangers or aliens mentioned in this letter are not tourists, but people without a home, living in a strange land, with no identity, no security, and even no acceptance from people around them. They are people who did not integrate themselves into the prevailing culture because of a special calling and identity. For us living like strangers, we are to abstain from sinful desires. But based on human psychology, those who have the least hope are those who rely the most on instant gratification. The more you desire instant gratification, the less you grasp the hope defined by the Bible. And you know, the people who desire instant gratification the most are the people with addiction. People in this condition will not think long-term consequences. They might understand long-term consequences, but their decision-making is not based on long-term implications. That's why they would go and steal money, because they cannot think beyond their immediate desires. On the other hand, those who have hope are those who can resist and overcome lustful desires or instant gratifications needs. And this way of living, according to the Bible, is called maturity. Maturity means that you are able to withstand immediate desire because of long-term benefits or consequences. For a child, if you disallow him to eat ice cream, he might cry. But if a 20-something-year-old cries because you don't give him an ice cream, ice cream, well, you might want to just call Jack down. It's, it's because the more mature you are, the more you're supposed to withstand the need to be gratified instantly. In my growing up, do you know how my parents coerced me to finish my bowl of rice? Some of you nodding your head, right? They said that if the more rice I left in the bowl, the more what? The more freckles my future wife is going to have. Have you heard of that? 
Okay, have, have you used that on a child? It would never work. My advice to you parents, don't say this to your kids. Well, first, you are teaching them injustice. It is my fault not finishing the rice, but the curse goes to my wife. All right, this is total injustice. And second, kids are not mature enough, enough to think such long-term consequences. Come on. If you want them to finish the, the rice, just ban them from playing the, with the iPad after the meal if they don't finish it. I'm sure that would work better. It's because we need to be mature to be able to make decisions based on long-term consequences. Brothers and sisters, God doesn't want us to remain immature spiritually. We are not called to be spiritual children the rest of our lives. We are to grow up to be spiritual adults. That's why God gives us hope so that we can set sight on long-term benefits and be able to abstain from worldly desires. We must allow hope to take effect in our lives so that we will no longer live under the influence and control of our lustful desires. We can then focus on living a holy life and become obedient people of God. That's why at the end, Peter said, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves, also with the same purpose. Because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased to sin, from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for the lust of man, but for the will of God. Brothers and sisters, remember that our hope is a sure thing because Jesus has accomplished all deciding factors on the cross. And because of this, we are to live our lives, not just with purpose, but also in holiness. We are to mature spiritually, setting sight on what is in store for us in the future, and resist the need to be gratified instantly and worldly. If we live our lives this way, then hope will become a virtue in us. And together with faith, and love, our church will be a blessed body ready to bless others. Let us all pray together. Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you for the hope that you have blessed us with. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, this hope is a sure thing. We pray that even though in this life we will experience suffering, pain, and temptation, we trust that the hope that we have will be sufficient for us to remain in holiness. I pray that our brothers and sisters will be faithful, loving, and hopeful, so that as blessed people, we are able to go out and bless others. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.